supper, you are ready. After you have uh, greeted all uh, 40 people around you, it's amazing to have you here tonight. Uh, it's great to see you, and uh, I'm anxious to get going tonight. We have a tremendous amount to work through. If tonight is your first time here, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's, it's great to be journeying with you. And uh, what we're doing here is uh, we're studying verse by verse uh, through the epistle of First Peter. Uh, we've been in it for a few months now, and we'll be in it for another eight months or so. And so uh, our mantra is that we, uh, we want to love God better, and we want to learn how to do that as we learn uh, how to love people better. And so if you're here joining us for the first time, it's great to have you. Uh, how many of you guys have been enjoying watching the Olympics? How many? Uh, and yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, you know, there's been many awesome moments and many phenomenal moments. Before we get into that, we need to build some context, though. The thing that I found most intriguing about this year's Olympics is... Um, is the male figure skater's costumes, okay? Now, I just need to be vulnerable with you for a moment. Um, has anyone else struggled with this at all? Like anyone just, just watching this and you've been intrigued? There's no other costume where you can be simultaneously a butterfly and a pirate with, with sequins going both vertically and horizontally, you know what I mean? I, I'm wondering how these, these guys um, uh, stand in front of the mirror and think to themselves, like, this looks good on me. And then, and then secondly, this looks good on me in front of a million people or however many millions. And then they would be able to walk outside. It, it's unbelievable to me. And, uh, and so, I, you know, every time it's almost just, I almost just enjoy watching the Olympics just to see, like, which costume and flowery piece is going to be, like, hanging off their arms next, you know. And uh, it got me thinking uh, this past Sunday at Lot Family, my little girl and the other girls in our Lot Family, they paraded out in front of us. And they were all wearing Cinderella costumes, you know, and, and it, it's so cool for a kid to be able to wear a costume because you get this sense of uh, like, like now I can be Cinderella, you know, like my little three and a half year old girl. She reads about Cinderella. She puts the gown on and then all of a sudden she feels like like Cinderella. There's something inside of all of us that, that enjoys costumes, no matter if they're, you know, pirate slash butterfly or. Cinderella. We all enjoy it uh, so much so that when I was 10, I dressed up as Urkel uh, from Family Matters, right? Any, any Urkel fans here, right? This whole crew, you've never even heard of Urkel, which is a disgrace to your culture. Uh, he was a brilliant, amazing actor. And, um, but here, here, here's the thing I love about kids in costumes. No matter what they dress up like, no matter what um, they act like, they know who they are. In the very simplest, most innocent way, a kid knows their identity. It's proven um, when you ask them to draw a picture of their family. This is why Sixth Sense was so freaky, right? You remember the kid drawing the pictures, right? Like a kid, when he draws pictures, he, he can't hide anything. And it reveals how much they get about their identity. Uh, now, I chose a six-year-old here in our community to draw a picture of his family and so let's take a gander at this, shall we? This is one of the sons of our pastors, uh, Aiden McNeil, drew this picture of his family today. And um, I, I love it because his, his only request was draw a picture of your family. And, and so, you know, you notice, first of all, a kid knows the heights of all of their, of all their family members, right? So dad's the tallest and then comes mom and then Austin is a little bit taller and then Aiden. I also like the color choices for all of the individuals in the family, right? Um, What's intriguing about a kid, though, if you ask a, a kid, a six-year-old kid, who they are, 
it will most often describe its family structure. And so in this sense, Aiden, you know, draws his family and guess what? Like they all have smiling faces and it represents his perspective of his family. I love how a kid understands his identity. You can take that off now because the rainbow is starting to get to me, right? Um, Somewhere along the line, and I don't know at what age or at what time, and it's probably different for all of us, the question of identity starts to get very clouded. And sometimes it's um, because of an event in our life. Sometimes it's because of struggles that we have. But for whatever reason, if you ask the average 13 or 14-year-old, for instance, or the average 35-year-old what their identity is, it's not quite as simple, is it? If you were to ask a 35-year-old to draw a picture of their identity, we may do that next week, you know, the picture would be much more complex, much less innocent. It would potentially even have some confusion with it. When we begin to think about our identity, what I'm describing to you is I believe the thing that we think about as humans the most. Of all of the things that all of us think about, I believe our identity, who we are, we think about the absolute most out of anything else. Now that sits under who is God and what place do I have under God's you know, control and all those questions, but they all funnel through that question. Who am I and what's my place in this galaxy? Now the interesting thing though is when we think about who we are or, I, or our identity rather, the pendulum seems to swing on one side or the other of what our perspective will be. When some of you think about your identity, the pendulum seems to swing toward arrogance. Because you start to think about who you are and you think you're pretty awesome, you know? And so as you start to think about all your gifts and all your talents and the way people perceive you and your ranking in this culture and all of the anecdotes that people would say about you, the pendulum swings towards arrogance. And so for some of you, thinking the most about who you are, that's where your pendulum swings. Then on the other side... Uh, There's many of you in here who almost consistently, when you think about who you are, it leads towards the other spectrum, near depression. When you think about your identity, when you think about who you are, when you think about your place, the pendulum swings away from arrogance and towards this pit of depression. I I would think that you would agree with me that both of these sides of the pendulum are dangerous. And I think that you would agree with me that truly understanding our identity, if it is one of the things that we think about the most, is critical. And I think you would agree with me, if the Scripture attacks this idea, then we better pay attention. If the Scripture would look at identity and teach what identity is, then it better heighten our awareness. Are you with me? If the scripture were in fact to say, here is your identity, would you agree with me that it would be worth studying? Anyone? All right, I love the excitement tonight. So I need you, with that said, open to 1 Peter chapter 2. What's amazing is that Peter, um, and the page number's on the screen for those of you that um, didn't bring a Bible, there's one right in front of you. We're going to spend two weeks just diving specifically into identity. The way Peter describes it, and, and the context to which he describes it in. And so I'm really looking forward to this. And um, there's a lot of tough questions that each of us will be asking uh, here tonight. So First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 
says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Uh, the first word we need to understand is but. But is a transition word. It's, it's saying that whatever he said before that, that he's now moving on. He's now showing the opposite. Well, right before this in verse 8, you guys will remember from last week that Peter says that there are those who disobey and they, they are destined to do so. In other words, there are those that disobey and the way we framed it is they're destined to doom. But, but that was kind of a... Um, a negative way to end what was beautiful from verses 4 to verse 8. And that was this. Christ is the living cornerstone. We are living cornerstones, or living stones rather, as believers, as followers of Him. We're built on top of the foundation of Christ into a dwelling for the Lord. And then he ends verse 8 by saying, but there's some who disobey, who don't follow. And those folks are destined to doom. And so he transitions in verse 9, but you are a chosen race. Now, who is the you? Well, you, you remember, he begins First Peter with what? The elect exiles of the dispersion. So he's saying that, 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 that these are Christians, these are followers, these are people who say Jesus is King and Lord, and they spend all of their life following him. That's who the you is. But you are a Chosen race. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at all, five, all four of these major identities in verse 9. And we're going to put them up here on the screen one by one. Um, uh, don't jump the gun there, Andrew, for me. Thank you. And, uh, you know, come on. I like chose this nice tree scene here. This is so nice. And, and we're going to work through these one by one. And I want to show you each um, what the identity is that the Scripture says, what this identity then is characterized by. And if you struggle in this particular area of identity what it is that you'll struggle with. Now, I say all that to say this. These four things get to this place where each of you will be asked, are you okay with this identity? As a follower of Christ, when we go through the four, these four things, the question for you is, am I okay with this identity? Is this what I want? Is this the label that I desire? So the first thing he says is that you are a chosen race. Now, can the weight of this phrase sit on you for a second? This phrase has come up in history, maybe you can remember. The Nazis called it the master race. They took passages like this, and if you look in the Nazi rhetoric, this passage is used among others to exalt the, what they called master race. And so that's why the Nazis were able to fall what they considered under the premise of God, is that we are the master race. The Crusades used similar language as this. We're the chosen ones, and so we better therefore knock out people militarily. So can we agree for a second, understanding who the chosen race is, is critical. And, and let me tell you this. This race isn't black or white, African-American or Caucasian or Asian or Hispanic. This isn't the race. And, and listen, I was sitting with an African-American friend of mine who's coming uh, to this community now. On Monday, we we're having lunch. 
and we were talking about the racial divides that still exist. And as we were talking and sharing, I got a picture of the beauty that the scripture portrays as who the chosen race is. It's, it's those connected to Father God. Chosen implies, implies chosen by who? By God. So the race is not people who are divided economically or by color, but those who are called and chosen by God. We live and minister in a city that is very racially and economically and culturally diverse. And I'll encourage you right now, and I mean this, some of you grew up in racial households. And maybe not racial households, but I guarantee you, some of you had racist grandparents. One of my grandfathers, not the one that I talk about often, but one of my grandfathers, uh, my mother's dad, was a complete racist. And so I grew up kind of hearing this perspective, while all the while going to a grade school where Caucasians were 7% of the people. African Americans were 85 and Hispanic the rest. And so I grew up learning that it was the heart of a man that matters. But friends, many of us, listen, even here today, still come from this this perspective. And so I was talking with my brother on Monday, just realizing again, one of the opportunities we have as Christians is to unify. And this isn't some like, I have a dream speech that you'll hear in some cliche way. But you know what? Wouldn't it be amazing if in this city that we're called, because that's what St. Charles is, if we were able to lock arms, a meeting tomorrow, guys, with an African-American pastor who's wanting to partner with potential We Love St. Charles stuff. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were able to lock arms and really portray in a city that is culturally, economically, racially diverse, the chosen race? Wouldn't that be incredible? I believe so. It's characterized by this, sovereignty. The chosen race is characterized by God's sovereign hand. Now, in the understanding of your identity, this instantly creates something in you. Let me describe this to you. If we were all um, to choose our kids, so if we were to like to go up to McDonald's, right? You're like to pull up to the drive-thru and you're like, I'll take a 6'8 quarterback, right? And, uh, you know, a supersize me of, you know, I mean, like well, all of us would choose a different, you know, like John Locke may say, like, give me a, you know, give me a 6'2, you know, 280 linebacker with, you know, biceps that hit his eyes when his hands raised. I mean, we would all like choose different things maybe. And, and some of those very sinfully, we can agree. But, but we don't do that. For those of you that have kids, you know this, okay? You, you, you give birth, and your wife specifically, and, and, then, and then you get what you get. You, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's a very humbling thing. You know, the, the, the child comes out, and you praise God for whatever is right there. And, and, and for some of us, look, the reality is for, for some of us, it, this becomes very humbling for whatever reason. We don't get to pick our kids. But if we did, I would imagine that many of us would choose something that looked awesome. Can I portray to you the chosen race for a second? God, in his love, chooses children knowing full well that they'll never meet up to his standards. It's, it's like God already knew all of your junk 
all of the grotesque pieces about you and yet would still choose you, call you his child, and flood your life with love. If that doesn't create a sense of of just blessed gratitude in your heart, I'm not sure what will. That's why I portray this is one of the most quintessential pieces of your identity. You have to believe in your heart that God in His grace has poured out His love enough to call you His child. That He would know that you wouldn't meet up as a great child of His, but through His Son somehow, you could live like Him. Do you guys get this? That's why you will struggle with, if you struggle with this identity, you will struggle with grace. If you, in your life, struggle with with being a chosen race, your struggle is grace. You're still trying to earn it. You're still trying to merit yourself to God. You haven't just accepted the fact that you're unworthy, depraved, and in need of a Savior. You don't want to be a chosen race. You want to choose God. You want God to see you as great and holy and righteous by yourself. That's impossible. And so if that's the gospel that you're trying to funnel yourself through, you will never find your identity in Jesus. Because the gospel is, you find your identity in Jesus, period. So I want to encourage those of you folks right now that are are struggling with this, this is bedrock. And some of you, you would would say, oh, of course I believe that I'm, I'm part of the chosen race. Then are you really tasting the beauty of grace? Are you really craving it? Are you really yearning it? Now, Peter doesn't get this uh, scripture out of nowhere. This comes from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verses uh, 6 through 8. No need to turn there. I'm just going to read it for you. Listen to this. For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. Uh, He's talking to the Israelites here. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Verse 8. Listen. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to, his, uh, uh, to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So... The initial chosen race, as portrayed uh, portrayed by the scriptures, are the Israelites. They're chosen by God to be God's people. Over and over and over in Leviticus. Okay, and we see it in Hebrews 8. We see it later in 1 Corinthians 6. Over and over and over, we hear God saying, You will be my people and I will be your God. You're my people. He keeps saying this over and over and over. The problem is, the, the Israelites... The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the very rulers of this group of people put Jesus on the cross. They reveal that without Christ, it's, they are unable, incapable to be the chosen race. So the chosen race moves, listen, from being under the lineage of Father Abraham, who had many sons, many sons, right? Had Father Abraham, kid's favorite song in my lot family. It moves from Father Abraham... To the church. This is the context of 1 Peter. Christ is the cornerstone. He's building a holy dwelling where he resides. And you are the living stones. Now the church. So the chosen race is the church. Now, I'll pause and say this. There's many of you that struggle with the church. 
many of you. I came out traditional church, and if you've heard my story, you know I've had my own struggles with the church. At some point, and I hope sooner than later, all of the baggage that has been built up in your heart that has created this this sense in your heart that the church is just this wretched, at some point, this has to be broken down. Because it's the church, Christians making up the church, that are the chosen race. Broken, messed up people, but the church. That's why I encourage college students especially, don't just come here like you're feeding off some buffet. This is a church. This isn't a youth group where we dance around, dress the rag, and do the hula. This is a church that we serve with one another. Where we're journeying with each other. Where we're living life. And not just to the students, but that is the... the, the the typographical thing of college students is they just want to be a part of kind of the next service or next thing. No, this is a church. God has designed His chosen people to unite together as the church to worship God, to remember Jesus and be sent out and be encouraged. So if you struggle with this identity, your struggle is grace. Repent now. Listen, own your identity in Jesus and give thanks for it. This is just one. We have a long way to go. Number two. We're identified as a royal priesthood. Now, this is huge. Um, in let's talk in Never Never Land terms for a, for a minute. Is never what's Never Never Land? Is that Peter Pan? Peter Pan never mind. Um, now we're back to male figure skating. Um, let's uh, just make up some kingdom in your mind and think about it in terms like this. Okay, you have a king. All right, and and, and then in most kingdoms there's a prince. All right. And then in most kingdoms, under the prince, there are other folks that reside. Now, the implication of you being a royal priesthood, what we've talked about so far, is that you have access as a priest. You have instant, immediate access to God through Jesus, who's, who is the high priest. And so why would we ever, in worship and prayer, in our room and home, why wouldn't we take advantage of that immediate access that we have through Christ? It's brilliant. But there's another piece. Look at this. Put this up here. It's characterized by access and authority. Christians are identified here as a royal priesthood. Well, the emphasis of royal is that we have access to the throne of God immediately and we have Authority. We sit underneath the authority of God. We do not have ultimate authority. But over and over and over in the Gospels, you see Jesus giving the disciples what? Authority. Because it's authority coming in His name. He gave them authority to cast out demons and to perform miracles. He gave them, he sent them out in Matthew chapter 8 with authority. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So I send you to go. You see, when you have the authority of the Spirit living in you, it creates this confidence that it is not I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Are you with me, church? That's why if you struggle with this piece of identity, your struggle is this. Your struggle is mission. Your struggle is mission. You are not on mission or you're on mission for yourself. If you understand your identity in Christ, then you understand the access you have to God immediately and you understand the authority of which you bear with the name of Christ. It's Jesus dwelling in you and then us, the church. Now, you may be thinking, well, authority, that sounds like, a, like an arrogant term. No, no, no. This just says the Spirit, God Almighty, resides in us. 
And when the Spirit and the Word are working together, it comes forth authoritatively because it's the truth. Are you with me, guys? And when the truth is portrayed in no matter what way, shape, or form, in a dorm room or in a workplace or here, it must be received and portrayed authoritatively because it's the truth. For those of you that are struggling with this identity, you're struggling with being on mission. Your life isn't on mission because you come feebly. Well, I guess I believe in Jesus, kind of, sort of, maybe. Tic-tac-toe, let's figure it out. Paper, rock, scissors, let's see, let's see what we believe in. Many of you, that, that's what you're approaching your mission like. Well, I guess we'll f- try to figure it out and see what happens. No. I come in the name of Christ, bearing the greatest message that there ever has been and ever will be, and so I will love you with tremendous humility and authority. Are you with me? So your struggle is mission. Some of you right now, to accept and receive the fact that you're a royal priesthood, you need to understand you have access and you have authority. Next slide. The third thing that we're described is, is that we are... A holy nation. Now, to be a holy nation, and we talked about the pursuit of holiness in First Peter chapter one, verse thirteen and on. To be holy is to be set apart, used by God, consecrated. My life is for the service of God Almighty, and here He says that the church, that you are a part of this holy nation, this nation that is not just chosen, but is chosen with a purpose. Do you understand? Chosen with a purpose. That's why it's characterized by this. It's characterized by source DNA. I just wanted to sound like CSI for a moment. You know what I'm saying? Any CSI fans here? Alrighty. None of us. Good. Um, No, listen. Source DNA. Let, let, let Let me explain this. The image is, is that if you... If your identity is now solely found in Christ, if you are a new creation, which scripture says, if you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood called to be a holy nation, then the DNA in you will look like the source. Well, who's the source? The source is the chooser. And who's the chooser? The chooser is God. And so the people that sit underneath the royal authority of King Jesus... Their DNA will look like the source. And so in your identity as a Christian, this is what we talked about last week. The biblical writers assumed that their readers who said they were true followers of Jesus looked like Jesus. Like really went to him. Really desired to go to Christ. Source DNA in the scriptures is assumed. If you follow him, The Spirit comes inside of you and you will look like Him. Progressive? Yes. Instantly there? No. Is it a journey? Of course. You understand? Now, this is interesting. If you struggle with this identity, you struggle with this. You struggle with worship. Let me explain. We say all the time here, and Jeremy has has done a brilliant job of teaching us this. When we worship in song, when we worship with life, when we worship as we walk around this earth, All we're doing is we're responding to God's initiation. So when we sing, we're singing because he's initiated with us. When we leave these doors, we're leaving because he's initiated with us. Everything is our response to his initiation. So listen, if he initiated and said, be holy as I am holy, then holiness is simply our response. Therefore, your issue 
is worship. Now this starts to, this starts to hit bedrock. Because worship is like this, is a sacred cow in Christian terminology and language. Praise and worship. Worship is what we do. We say worship all the time. Worship, when it's connected with identity, will reveal the source DNA. Are you with me? Because we're responding to God's initiation. So you, you know right now, if you struggle in your identity with Christ, if your life looks nothing like worship, if God's initiating with you and you're saying, yeah, it sounds great, whatever. Next slide. Lastly, he says that we're a people for his own possession. Now, what I love about this passage, and I, I've already mentioned three of, the, three of the scriptures, is that there is this image, I'm God and you're my people. I'm God and you're my people. I'm God and you're my people. As I look at these four things, and I think about the identity of the church, the thing that I think about is this. Do you need any other identity? Do you need anything else, people? Is there any other thing that you would put that would be essential for your identity, period, than to be called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy name, a holy nation, and a people that are God's possession? Is there something else that you need? Because my fear is that we are all living, or at least most of us, or at least sometimes all of us, living like there's still identity out there that we're having to claim or that we're trying to find. I still need this piece of identity. I'm really not solid. I'm really, I really haven't found myself yet. There's still this piece of identity. No, no, no. If you have truly grasped the biblical call of what the church is, you need nothing else. There is no other pursuit. And so you know what this is characterized? It's characterized by rest. And I love this. People who understand their identity rest. They're the people that aren't out trying to save the world by their own hands. They're the people that are listening to God's voice. They're the people that are worshiping on mission. Because they're the people that have realized my identity is in Christ. And in nothing that I will do and no label that culture puts on me will ever make me feel better about myself. Are you with me? Many of you are still seeking the label of a culture when you are called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for the possession of God. How silly and ignorant now does it sound when we are yearning and longing for culture to see us as significant. Those people who truly understand their identity in Christ are people that will be known and seen by rest. They seem content they seem that, like their lives are filled with joy and not condemnation. And that's why these people, if you struggle with this, you struggle with humility. Period. Your struggle is humility. If this piece of your identity that you're wrestling with, ultimately, every day, listen, every, every day, you wake up and you think about who you are and you can't wait to try to shape someone else's mind about who you are. So your entire life then becomes about who you please and who you make happy and who sees you making other people happy. Do you understand? But the people who truly understand their identity in Christ say, my identity is only in him. Now, 
We have much more to say about these four things, but we need to keep moving on. So we're going to come back to this here in just a couple minutes. Is that cool with you guys? Let's look at the rest of verse 9. You're like, there's more? Oh, yeah. A lot more. (laughs) That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Okay, so so did you you put put that last screen up for me just because I want to see that tree again. Okay, there it is. Nice. Now. All these four things. You're like, okay, this is really encouraging. Man, I'm a people chosen for God's own possession. I'm a chosen race. I'm a royal priesthood. So now what? Don't you love how the scriptures work? Do you see the transition word after the comma? What is it? What's the transition word? What? That. All these four things. That. That what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Who called you, chose you, elected you out of darkness into marvelous light. So now there's this whole other piece that's added to identity. And I love this because because this is huge for us. We start thinking in our mind that, that we that we can become something. Um listen, listen, listen. How many of you guys remember a time in your life? Come on, work with me here. How many how many of you guys remember a time in your life when you're driving in a car or, or you're in the back seat? And it's late at night and there's this song that comes on, right? And whatever, back in the 90s, could have been a song by the Backstreet Boys or what? No, not the Backstreet Boys. You know, like just, just pick, a, pick a band, the Sticks, all right? Sticks. And any song I think before the 80s was written by the Sticks, okay? So work with me. And you were just sitting there and you were watching the stars and, and you just had this moment. How many of you guys have ever had one of those? And you start thinking about like who you are, come on. And you're just like sitting there and you're dreaming, you know, and there are other people in the car and no one else is there, just you. And you're just like thinking about, you know, like, and all these dreams, you know, if you weren't married, then you're like, oh, my, you know, my wife. And you start thinking about all these, all of us, it's, come on, all of us at some point have had one of those moments, if not multiple, if not today. You start daydreaming and this question of who am I comes up and you start thinking. What I love about the scriptures, listen, is the image of the gospel is that the church comes together to be reminded of Jesus and then not to just continually remind each other of our identity, listen, but to live it out. When you understand your identity, it then must be lived. And wasn't it exemplified in Christ? Come on. And you're like, well, he had a clear advantage. He was fully God and fully man. Yeah, I get that. But he knew exactly who he was and what he was here to do. And we should never for a second diminish the power of the example of Jesus. He came, he stayed very focused on his call and on his mission and never wavered in his identity. Wrestle in the garden? Sure. Wrestle away. But at the end of the day, what he shared and who he was completely matched. So, those of us who understand our true identity in Jesus, who understand who we are, then it will come out because we will proclaim the excellencies of Him who pulled us out of the pit and gave us worth. And that's what the picture is. He gives you worth. You go from nothing to being a a royal priesthood. 
and not in some never, never fairy tale language, but in the true reality of God. Come on. This is unbelievable stuff. And then in verse 10, he says this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, what I I feel like he does here in verse 10 is he reminds people where they were to to help engage their hearts as they remind others who are still there. Let me tell you what I mean. If there's anyone here tonight who doesn't believe in Christ, first of all, welcome. So glad you're here. We don't have it all together, and we want to we journey with folks, so it's great to have you here. Let me say this, though. Your identity will never come outside of Jesus. He says, once you were not a people. You were not even a people. We're like, well, of course I'm a, I'm a human. Of course I'm a person. Sure. But in the scheme of, of, a, of an eternity... You had no identity because true identity only is found in Christ. So listen, some of you in here who don't believe, who don't know him. If you never come to him, never receive the invitation. Look, look, let me, let me share this with you. You're forever going to be trying to figure out who you are. You will never find out who you are. And at the end, when judged by God, you will be shown as having no worth because only Christ gives worth. And Peter escalates that. Once you were not a people, now you're a people. Once you had not received received mercy, and now you receive mercy. So for those of us who are proclaiming his excellencies, guess what? Guess what we're to share? Once I was not a person. Once I had no identity. And why? Because that connects with the heart of every man. He gives us phenomenal evangelistic tool here. Every man out there on every street and every restaurant and every grocery store is wondering, who am I? What Peter says is you remind them when you had no identity and then Christ breathed worth into you. And maybe, just maybe, that will connect with some heartstrings. And maybe, just maybe, those people will see the genuineness of the the DNA that's coming out in your life so much so that then they would see, yes, his excellencies match up with his life. Now, from all of this, I think, I think all of us struggle with three pieces of identity. First category. There's people in here who completely are living under the premise of false identity, right? It's like born ultimatum times whatever, right? You don't know who you are. Like, you're, you know, you have to make a trilogy to figure it out, right? I mean, you're, you just go through, some of you, you think you're something and it's, it's complete, it's completely false. And so you're living under this, under this sense of false identity. And what I mean is some of you think you believe in Jesus here. Um, but the reality is your life and the portrayal and the fact that you never talk about his, the excellent mercy that comes from, like there's no matching of life. And so you're living under a complete false identity. Now, uh, the, the second piece, which is, where I think most of us land is situational identity. I think most of our identity in this room is defined by our situations. In other words, who you were today completely depended on what kind of day happened, what kind of situations presented themselves, what kind of encouragement you had versus disgrace, 
Most of us, I think, land here. And you know what? You're not alone. This was the disciples in the Gospels. When I look through the scriptures and look through the Gospels, I feel like the the disciples pre the resurrection of Christ lived mostly in situational identity. Right? Peter starts walking out of the water. He's feeling great. He starts to fade. Uh, Peter is, you know, asked by the little servant girl, do you know Jesus? Of course not. But, but, you know, a few days later he's saying, yes, of course. I mean, these guys are just fluctuating back and forth, back and forth. And it seems like just dependent on all of their situations. Can I show you now how ignorant it is when you're these things to then let our situations define our identity? If these things are promised you, if these things are you, then to allow our situations to flux our mentality of what we are in Christ. Once you are his chosen, it's not like he kicks you out of being adopted. He doesn't say you're mine and then look at you and say, oh, I didn't know that about you. Never mind. He knows everything about you. And so when he pours out mercy and grace, you can't be released from that clutch. And so why then would we live in this constant flux of identity by letting our situations change our heart, change our mind, flux our attitude, friends? This is ridiculous. The, the last category is factual identity. This is the disciples post the resurrection. This is Jesus as he was on the earth. Knowing who they are, knowing who Christ is, knowing what they're there for, knowing what mission is, knowing what worship looks like. How many of you, listen, how many of you guys feel like right now you're just spinning your wheels, searching as hard as you can to figure out who you are? And listen, you're doing whatever it takes. You're doing whatever it takes. And mostly whatever it takes in front of other men. I don't know who I am, and so I guess I'll try this. I don't know who I am, so I I guess I'll indulge in that. I'm not sure my identity, so I guess I'll just let go. Now, if we were to sum up verses 4 through 10, let me share this. In the category of the temple, what Peter says is no longer is there an Old Testament temple Now the temple lives in the church. Now the temple lives in Christians. Now it's a moving mobile temple. Uh, The second thing that he says is, now the priesthood doesn't come from the line of Aaron. Now you're priests. Now believers, now Christians are priests. No longer is it lineage. No, no, no. Now it's through Christ. And lastly, he says this, is, is, is you go from being an Israelite chosen people coming from Abraham to now completely the church, Christians. So Peter describes to us this massive flux from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The question for us is, is, is the journey over? Do you know who you are? And does it align with these things? If you really struggle with mission... I would, I would say that you're really struggling grasping the fact that you're a royal priesthood and on down the line. Have you gotten to the place where you're resting because you know who God is 
and you know your humble place in his kingdom. And so you're anxious to serve. Can you guys stand with me? Stand with me together. What I love about a, a kid is that um is that they're just completely innocent. And whatever's in front of them, they just take it and they run with it. And if it's a bad daddy, then it's a bad daddy. But if it's a good daddy, it's a good daddy. If it's a loving home, it's a loving home. If it's a home that's in chaos, then that's what they'll experience and portray. My question for those of you in here that are believers is, is this identity truly what you've accepted just like a little kid would? So much so that you would see those things, that you would be affirmed and encouraged and not condemned and that maybe for the first time in a while, you would stop trying to find some identity in a piece of culture that can never provide it. The point of the scripture is to encourage us to remain rested on the chief cornerstone that's Christ. And so for those of you in here that are turning, um, for those of you in here that are females, that are turning to emotional pornography, you're like, well, what are you talking about? Emotional porn right now for females are females that just get dragged into uh, reality shows that live out vicariously their relationships through The Bachelor and all these other different kinds of things that just feed this um, emotional sense of acceptance. If that's you as a female, your identity is in Christ. You, you don't need the acceptance of any culture or ultimately any man to give you worth. And so st- So stop watching these shows just to feed this lust in your heart in the hopes that maybe you could have true love like The Bachelor would portray. For those of you dudes that are in here, and this is our nature, that are longing for the chance for other dudes to look at us and see us with puffed out chests like we have something to offer, let's take a cue from the servant king who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Let's take a cue from Christ. Let's pray together. So God, I ask that true, pure repentance will just be birthed out of our heart right now. That we will flee from the ways that we are turning towards all of these things that will never provide us true identity. And that will truly wholeheartedly rest contently in you. And so God, I pray right now for those folks in this room who, who, who don't believe in you. I pray God that you'll encourage them with the knowledge and the understanding that, that the only worth and only acceptance and only identity will come through you and nothing else. So God, I pray right now for the Christians in this room that you'll help us receive this word and act on this word. I pray, Father, that it will be changing in our hearts 
that it will stir our souls and that we will proclaim the excellencies of Him who chose us and pulled us out of this darkness, the pit of depravity, into a marvelous light that when all is revealed, we will stand as loved. And God, I thank you for that. So God, hear our cries of response now. In your awesome name, in all of God's church said, let's respond and worship. Come on.